you could have really confused them by telling them what you were about and then show up and you just have like a puppet and you just sit on a stool and just right. like go complete different direction. Dude, I, what I wouldn't do to just have a friend where I could be like, hey man, you want to go get your feet done? Hey, welcome to the Mostly Good Podcast. My name is Nick Jones and I will be your host. So today's episode is phenomenal. I have a friend of mine who has his PhD and is a professor at UGA, and he is going to be talking a little bit about what he teaches, but also some other areas as well. I mean, man, what don't we talk about? We cover the whole gamut of topics right now. We talk about sexuality and double standards. We talk about uh, gender. We talk about, man, masculinity. We even talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter. We've, we've covered it all today. So today, I think, is going to be an episode that you are absolutely going to love. There's a little bit more humor in this episode, uh, the way that it was kind of more so in the first few episodes, and I feel like there is a time to be humorous and a time to be a little more serious, and so the last few episodes have been a little bit more serious because I felt like it was more appropriate to be. Um, So I think you are in for a treat today, and I hope that this is a conversation that encourages you to have more conversations about what we talk about today that you would be a little more open to hearing what other people have to say. You don't have to agree with everything that we discuss here today, but do ask that you would just be open to it and listen. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over and let you hear just a little bit about what we talked about today from Martin, and then we will go ahead and play this episode for you. Gender and sex have been so overlaid that it's hard for us to unpack them from each other. When you say traditional gender, you're talking about an expectation of behaviors. I mean, you think about when we pop out of the womb, people are sending us colored clothes to genderize us from the get-go. Like putting a pink, you know, shirt on your baby boy is gonna somehow do something to them. You know, it's a ridiculous idea. Here I am studying all these things, and now I've got a young boy that I'm gonna have to raise, and how does that work? My older child is very nurturing with the younger kid. Why would I break that? How do I step away from these demands of masculinity that we have? There's so much strength and vulnerability, and we miss out on that, I think. I think a lot of men miss out on the strength and vulnerability. So uh, the point of the podcast is really just to encourage people to like embrace their weirdness. And so uh, that kind of started with just the amount of conversations I was having with people who were afraid to just be themselves, um, just out of fear what their friends or their family would think. And so I wanted to create a podcast to have open conversations with people. Even if I don't agree with them or if I do, it doesn't matter. I just wanted it to be a place where we could learn and grow together. And hopefully through the process, people will relate to, you know, what it is that we're going to talk about today and feel like maybe there's like one person who just gets them. And so for me, I feel like that would be worth it. Um, With that being said, though, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and share a little bit about what it is you do and your educational background. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, My name is Martin Ward for the listeners. Um, I'm currently an instructor at the University of Georgia. I finished up my PhD there uh, last summer and I kind of do a smattering of things, right? It's it's a bit of a smorgasbord of of ideas related to Latin American literature, um, but it also has things that I relate back to my life here. So I look at gender and sexuality studies, the development, the cultural ideas of masculinity, uh, literature that has to do with the LGBTQ community there. 
Um, and then I also look at the experience of Latinos here in the United States. Okay. So it really is like a wide range of things that you're like, yeah, that you're, you're capable of doing. Okay. So how did you even get started in that to begin with? Yeah. Well, there were two events. One, I had a really good friend here growing up. So I grew up here in Savannah mm -hmm. and, um, when he was kind of struggling with his own sexuality and, and, and coming out and things like that. Um, you know, we hung out at, at some of the, the gay clubs, the gay bars downtown Savannah. Mm -hmm. And just going on that journey with him um, really opened up my eyes to that. Because I would say in high school, I probably had a lot of attitudes that were more along the homophobic ideals. You know, I was raised in a very religious family. And, you know, it just that was what took hold, right? Like mm -hmm. being gay is bad, it's a sin, all that. Right. You know, what I think now is nonsense. Yeah. Um, and watching someone struggle with it and go on this journey and come to find themselves um, really turned me on to that. And then I had another moment when I I'd taken a year off from undergrad. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, I did a study abroad in Paris. That would have been amazing. It, it was. It was a great trip, like five weeks there. And, you know, the challenge we always had each night when we went out was we got to catch the last train about 1.30. Okay. So we can go party but we either have to party hard or kind of, because yeah. if you miss the last train, you got to go till six. Okay, right. right. So that was kind of the thing. And I went in to get this group of other people in our thing, say, hey, last train, let's go. And the, the guys that were hitting on these girls, I started talking to them. And then I missed the train mm -hmm. because they were telling me about their experience learning other languages and then going and living in other cultures. And I don't know, something clicked something in clicked. my head and I came home and started learning Spanish. Um, so those were kind of my two moments in life where it was just like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Like just listening to them talk about, you know, this experience of learning mm -hmm. new cultural norms, learning a new language, you know, learning to feel comfortable within something that makes you uncomfortable for a lot of, you know, for a lot of people. Yeah. Going to another country, being surrounded by sounds of another language that, that are unfamiliar can mm -hmm. provoke a lot of anxiety. And, and I learned to find too, comfort in that. Right. It would give you empathy for those people because for people who come to America and, and to them, it sounds like that. It's, you know, they don't, if they don't understand English, then yeah, it would be very anxiety ridden. Right. It's like a, it's like a garble of noise. And it yeah. took, you know, we, my partner and I, we lived in Spain for a few years and it, you know, it took a good six months of living there before we finally kind of walked outside one day and all the sounds made sense. And our brains were starting to differentiate between the end of one word, the beginning of the next, and we could pull them apart. And, right. you know, it's, it's a process. Mm -hmm. I, had a great op I had a student who nominated me. She was part of, um, I ended up giving a TED Talk at UGA. Okay. And I had a student nominate me because she knew what I was studying and, and uh -huh. had taken a class with me. And, you know, I just kind of jokingly ticked in the box, you know, hey, yeah, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I can right. talk about. Ha, ha, ha. I'll never hear from these people again. Yeah. And within 24 hours, I had not only heard from them, they had scheduled an interview to, to talk to me about the idea. And then, you know, I left that meeting and they said, we'll let you know next week. And within 12 hours, they were like, yeah, you're in. Like, we want, Shit got we real, want, real yeah, quick. We want you to be here. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and like, yeah, that's when I was like, oh. So what was that experience like then being on a stage, like doing a TED Talk? I mean, I, for me, it would be nerve wracking. It is. It's nerve wracking. And, you know. When I was younger, speaking in front of crowds was not something I could do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm kind of surprised that I got into teaching, but it's kind of a controlled environment. And I think mm -hmm. most teachers 
who are shy with public speaking will tell you that there's something about teaching that's a little bit different. And it's a little bit different because you know what you're doing and you know, you generally know more than your students. Right. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes there's a student who does know more than you for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But it was still nerve wracking, right? There's 500 people in this auditorium. Yep. There's nine other speakers. You're rehearsing your, your speech. The nice thing is, is they've got all these bright lights on you so that people can see you. Yep. And that really helps you not to be able to see them. Exactly. So you just see that front row of people. Uh-huh. You could have really confused them by telling them what you were about and then show up and you just have like a puppet and you just sit on a stool and just right. like go complete <laughs> different direction. They'd be like, this is not what we signed up for. I don't know. That's silly. That's how my brain works. It's always going into like the silly mode. Right. Well, and the other thing is you get, you know, I got halfway into it and I kind of lost my train of thought because I'm, I'm talking about doing gender and sexuality studies and how a lot of what I was doing in a theoretical sense kind of came home personally because in the middle of all that we had a child you know a little boy and I'm like here I am studying all these things and now I've got a young boy that I'm gonna have to raise yeah and how does that work but you know I'm going through a lot of statistics Mm -hmm. and showing people things and and then I kind of make you know that that's my big segue you know it's like here's all these bad things that I've I've noticed but the rubber has hit the road because now I've got a child of my own. Right. And I threw up a photo of him. Well, he's sitting in the audience. He sees him. You know, he's old enough to recognize himself a little bit. He sees himself and he lets out this loud like, ha. Ah! <laughs> and it just totally threw me off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of struggled to get through the rest of it. But uh, no, it was a great experience. And I had some former students who came up to me afterwards, you know, and they were like, I, on- I know I only took Spanish with you, but holy shit. <laughs> you know, like. The it's person, a yeah, the person you met is not the person who I am now because that was two years ago, and like what you said really hit home because I've had, you know, some of those same concerns of mm-hmm. like, how do I step away from these demands of masculinity that we have mm-hmm. within our culture, and that's kind of where you know I I started off with a very generalized thing, I did a women's studies certificate as well where I sat in a lot of uh, graduate classes uh, doing feminist theory and things like that, and. You know, I had really great professors who were like, look, I get it. You're the only guy in a room full of 20 people. And sometimes you're not going to know what to say. Sometimes you don't need to say anything. You just need to sit there and do some deep listening. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the complaints that a, that a lot of the, the women had in class, I have too. About the, the restrictions of, of what masculinity imposes on us. Right. You know, as, as biological men. Believe me, if, if I go act a certain way or do a certain thing or, or have anything that steps away from these ideals of what men are supposed to be, how they're supposed to act, like I get it too. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get too far into that, let's loop back just for a second and let's go to childhood, right? So every family has their own dysfunction, <laughs> right? And so this doesn't excuse the dysfunction, right? But it can be reassuring to know like there are other people who like can relate to your right. family dynamic. What, what was your childhood like? What was like your growing up experience? You don't have to throw anybody under the bus necessarily, but. I mean, look at me. I'm sitting here yeah. with <laughs> orange and purple hair while I, while I talk to you. Uh-huh. And piercings, Th- tattoos. I've been, yeah, I've been doing this since I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. Uh-huh. And there's, there's always been pushback. My parents, to their credit, have never, you know, they push back at first, but then they kind of realized like, oh, you're still kind of the same person. This doesn't change you. But like I would play, I played soccer in high school and like some of the other parents would make comments when we had summer camps, you know, like, 
oh, who would let their kid do that? You know, my dad's standing there and he's like, me? <laughs> what? Yeah. You know, I, I had an interesting, I guess, figure of masculinity to look to because my dad, I don't know, he sometimes he upholds those norms and then sometimes he's like, fuck those things. You know, right. like he walked into a sports bar one night, you know, and I, I'm kind of short. My dad's 6'4". He's rather... Okay. He's a rather bulky person. Yeah. But he walked into a sports bar one night and ordered an Appletini from the bar. You know, and <laughs> That's the, awesome. And, and the dude next to him turned to make a snide comment and then looked up at how, you know, he's like, uh, yeah, I'll leave that one alone. Yeah, he's like, that's a, <laughs> that's a check I can't cash. Yeah. So I'm gonna <laughs> but I mean, that's the kind of, you know, like he doesn't care. He's like, what? I want a fucking Appletini. Like, yeah, tastes good. K- kiss my ass. Yeah. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's funny. No, that's perfect. Did you watch like movies and shows that were not age appropriate? Because I know for me, I kind of did. Like during the summer, like I would watch HBO as a kid and I would watch like Tales from the Crypt and like all these other things that were probably not good, you know. Yeah, not at five and six. Okay. I mean, at five and six. Ren and Stimpy. I was pissed off when I didn't wake up in time to see the, the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. You know, well, but there, there was no DVR. Theory. There was no taping. Uh-huh. You know, there was no just, oh, I'll record it and go watch it later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we did have HBO. Okay. But my parents were, especially my mother, was like, you know, that y- y'all aren't watching certain things, right? Sure. I, dude, I can remember being, I, forgive me, mom and dad, I don't know, I was young. I mean, I would be watching like Taxi Cab Confessions. I mean, I remember. And like it. Real Sex. Real Sex, yeah. And all these, Dream, I was. Dream On was yeah. another one, you know. Uh-huh, I was probably 11. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, I remember 10 or 11, yeah, sneaking up, you know, yeah. waiting to hear the snoring from the bedroom so uh-huh. you could go safely. Volume on very low so you could you could hear them getting up if you needed to <laughs> right. cut it off. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It's like I, I, the kids are curious. Sure. And whether, you know, parents choose to have those conversations or not, that's on them. But like the thoughts they're going to be getting the it kids. from somewhere. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, as a parent, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I mean, I get, I feel like you have to at least recognize that not that you have to cut it off before it happens, but like, you know, it's important probably to have those conversations first, because again, your kid's going to be getting that information somewhere. Well, I think you need to, and and again, we've got two kids now and and I think about this, right? Like you got to start laying the groundwork right, and start making things not so terrifying and scary, right? Creating a, a sense of nor- it's all normalizing bad. things. Yeah, Sex like, is bad. All these things are bad. Like in the Christian realm where I was kind of in was like, you don't do this. And I actually know a few, I don't want to say a few, I feel like it's probably more like one or two couples who are Christians. And because sex was so bad for a while that when it came time to actually have sex as a married couple, there was still guilt. Even though they're married and it's totally cool and chill, you know, but there was still that layer of it was a lifetime of internalizing that guilt that they haven't taken into consideration. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. So I think it's, it's, it's gotta be super important to have those conversations, but, um, but let's, let's go ahead and move on. We'll get into the meat and all this has been already fantastic. Not that that wasn't the meat, but we're going to dive on in. Um, and I think a good place for us to start is acknowledging that most people would say that there are similarities and differences between men and women. But as a generalization that most women are probably more nurturing and caring and that more men are brute and aggressive. But what does like science and psychology and research have to say about that? And what have you personally found to be true? That's all bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To be succinct. Yeah. Can you elaborate? No. Yeah. No, of course. Um, So, yeah, again, I started off looking at, at questions of sexuality and gender norms and things like that. And. You know, I got into some of the big names. If, you, if you're going to do gender studies, everybody's going to come across Judith Butler. She was 
kind of the big voice that looked at things. Um, she talked about the idea of drag, the element of drag, presenting this kind of contradictory thing of, you know, my, my inner is one thing, but my outer shell is another thing that contrasts with what drag presents. Mm -hmm. And if you think about drag from, you know, she's talking about it back in the 19, early 1990s. You think about what drag is now, you know, it's completely evolved into something even It's more. its own culture. It's its own culture yeah. now. You know, there are books about it. Getting into things of like queer theory, that's kind of the basis of that, this idea of dismantling things. Now it's rebuilding in a new way. It even, you know, you look at HBO's got a new show now with some of the drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, okay. Called We're, called We're Here. Okay. And they go intentionally to small towns that have a lot of religious conventions. And they, they have a drag show. And they, they welcome, you know, somebody who identifies as, as gay or queer in some way. And they generally get somebody who's cisgender, you know, somebody who identifies with heterosexuality, but not necessarily who has heteronormative mindset of... So heteronormativity is the idea that heterosexuality is the norm and everything else is strange. Right. Okay. Right? So you can be hetero... To me, you can be heterosexual, but not heteronormative. Right, okay. you can identify with being attracted to someone of the opposite sex, but not think that is the only way. Okay, um, for people to express their their sexuality. Right. As far as the differences, though, I mean, because people would say, you know, like, well, women seem to be more nurturing and caring, and men aren't. So where does that come from? So, so drag plays with a lot of these ideas of gender, and and what Butler starts to argue is by playing with that, you're showing that they're not as strict as traditional ideas of gender would have us believe okay right so if i can Im take on this other persona that contradicts my biological sex with a gender that i'm not well then where's the limit this idea you know and i mean again i have two young kids the idea that i can't be nurturing because i have a penis hanging between my legs right is ridiculous yeah or that i have to raise them to be aggressive mm -hmm. i don't have to raise them to be aggressive my older child is very nurturing with the younger kid. Mm -hmm. Why would I break that? Like these are just cultural norms. With some of the science that's been done looking at are men and women's brains different? I don't know, that, that idea just makes me laugh now. Right. And it makes me laugh because I think a lot of the science hasn't taken cultural influence into it because it's put on us from a very young age. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about when we pop out of the womb, People are sending us colored clothes right. to genderize us from the get-go. Mm -hmm. Like putting a pink you know, shirt on your baby boy is going to somehow do something to them. Right. You know, it's a ridiculous idea. Yeah. But some people take it very seriously. Yeah. And you know, the reason I feel confident saying that's a ridiculous idea is, is in 1917, Time magazine had a thing in there uh, pushing pink for boys. Really? Because it was conceived of as a strong color. And the suave, delicate blue should be reserved for baby girls. Hmm. So right? what happened? Why didn't that, I guess, that push it's, never... It's, it's a marketing move. Okay. Because before that, all babies... And you can go back and look at, at pictures of, of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh -huh. our president, was in a, a white dress until five or six years old. Right. Most kids wore white dresses. That was normal. Because... It was easy to clean, you uh -huh. can bleach it, and it gave easy access to changing diapers. So where does the push no come pants. to change all of that? A lot of it, I mean, it's a combination of things. You've got yeah. marketing from businesses, right? Uh -huh. So if, if I'm a business and I'm only selling white cloth 
or white things that people are using to easily bleach, right? We're talking about the, the early 1900s. We don't have a lot of the cleaning technologies and, and luxuries that we have now. Right. Everything was done like that. But now we've got the advent of technologies. We can latch on to things and push them for business sense. Mm-hmm. And so now today, when you go to a, a gender reveal party, which, again, those are another things that make me roll my eyes. Like, uh-huh. If you want to find out what you're having, that's great. Sure. But it's a sex reveal. It's not a gender reveal. Okay. That's just that's just me yeah. being a, a hoity-toity academic on that. <laughs> and we'll uh, dive into that. Yeah. Because I don't... I, I Again, gender and sex have been so overlaid yes. that it's hard for us to unpack them from each other. It's like an octopus where the tentacles have been wrapped around. Yeah, they're interchangeable when people in so many usually ways, talk yeah. about it, that they're the same thing. Right. The yeah. same thing. And it's like, it's it's not the same thing because... When you say traditional gender, you're talking about an expectation of behaviors. Okay, right. right? My senior year of high school, I painted my fingernails mm-hmm. over the summer. And I wore that to school the first day. And after lunch, they pulled me out of class, told me I couldn't be with the other students. Give me no other reason except because of that. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't allow me to be. Because like, that nail like polish painted, was really going to mess things up. Like my painted fingernails were going to somehow do yeah. something negative to the other students. And I mean... Even my parents, you know, they were called out to the school. They had to bring paint, uh, nail polish remover. Mm. And they were just like, what are, what are y'all doing? This, is, But, you know, it's yeah. a religious school. It's fine. Like, that's their perspective. There was no rule against it. There is now. Right. I'm yeah. proud of that one. Yeah. <laughs> you started the rule there. <laughs> right. But these are arbitrary rules, right? Like, right. A, a boy paints his fingernails. Like, so fucking what? Yeah. Like, hey, what does cares? it matter? But, but there's this fear of, like, and you hear it. It's not just from men. It's from women, too, right? Like, mm-hmm. The ideas of masculinity can't survive with just men supporting it, right? Women su- support it. I see this from a lot of women. And it's not just like, it's less so with more open-minded, I think, liberal women. But like yeah. conservative women, I mean, you could see that in the the push for, for Trump to be elected. Like mm-hmm. women shouldn't be leaders. They might have, you know, a bad period and their emotions might get the best of them and they'll start right. a war, you know, and like... Yeah, the guys like uh, have haven't men started all wars? Yeah, exactly. you know? She's yeah. like, uh, exactly. But, but but she's putting herself down because she's buying into this notion of women are unstable because their emotions. Mm-hmm. I would argue that there's a lot of men who are unstable because of their emotions. They yeah, have no they emotional their intelligence. Anger, their anger controls them, and and that's part of the gen- the traditional gender role of this stoic man who doesn't express anything. Right? Mm-hmm. Like like when would be an acceptable time for a man to cry? Right, maybe at a funeral of a loved one, mm-hmm. you know, maybe when he's holding his first child for the first time. And I'm saying maybe. Right. Right. Some people might why even give him because? shit for that. Right. But yeah, why not? Because I've had a bad day or I'm in a bad mood. Yeah. You know. But if we do that, suddenly I'm a little I'm a little bitch. Right. Because I want to express my emotions. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you see, if you go look at the the people who are shooting up high schools and mm-hmm. stuff, it's predominantly young boys who need to feel validated in some way that these people who haven't taken usually me, they're picked on these people who haven't taken me seriously mm-hmm. who've put me down i know that i've got a penis hanging between my legs so somehow i've got to have some way to claw at and mm-hmm. get my right to this cultural ideal of and it's through masculinity so if you're going to try and take that away from me i know that violence will bring it right violence mm-hmm. and aggression is constantly associated with men which is hilarious because you know, women are supposed to be dainty and not violent, and yet the analogy we have of, of protection is the mother bear who will shred you if right. you mess with her cubs. Right. Right? Like, it's not daddy bear. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not daddy bear. Yeah. 
But uh-huh. you know, so we it, it's funny how we we play these games with these different expectations. We have yeah. these, you know, like I said, I'm a little bitch if I'm a man that cries. Uh-huh. But a woman's a bitch if she is standing up for herself and, you know, has a backbone and doesn't take shit off of people. Right. Right? We use that same word but for two different things. Mm-hmm. Things that don't fit into this idea that, you know, men are in charge. So let's kind of touch on something that you did bring up. So, you know, what then makes a person male or female is it their sex organ is it what they like and like the distinguish like to dis- the distinction then of like sex and gender and what the difference is between well, it's a path we're still walking down trying to figure out for a long time it's been trying to just unpack what all has been said mm-hmm. the cultural expectations that have been out there what can we break with for me what differentiates us is what's hanging between our you know our sex organs mm-hmm. I don't see much difference between men and women. Right. I mean, because biologically, there is a clear difference that there is male and female. Right. You would agree. That's the sex part. But what we're talking about now is the gender, which is what people are hard. It's hard for them to, I guess, listen to. And and so science is is finding new things, right? Um, There's a new series on Netflix that I obviously watch because I have a new kid. It's called Babies. Okay. And I've been telling my other friends to watch, but it's been about a lot of research. Men who are exclusively the caretakers of children where there's no mother involved have the same chemical releases to bond them with these kids that women do. Very yeah. interesting. So there's a lot of discovery that a lot of the, the chemical reactions that happen for women do happen for men. Okay. But culturally, we have been under this guise that taking care of babies mm-hmm. is, a women, is a woman's job. Yeah, I think what needs, uh, I, I say that, uh, and I'm gonna, it's gonna sound like a judgment when I say, well, I think what needs to happen. But I think it's interesting that obviously taboos and everything else in our world has changed over time, right? Like, like, they do like roles, Absolutely. they always change, but it seems like right now people have a hard time allowing it to change. Or is, it seems like every culture has a problem with it changing in the moment, but it only becomes later when a new ge- generation comes along where it's accepted. Right. And I'm just curious why it's so hard for people to at least acknowledge one that roles have always changed, and 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 why is that all of a sudden not true for now? You know what I mean? Like things are always changing, and to to assume that it's bad because it's different than what's current, I just I think is doing a disservice to to ourselves. Right. Well, I mean, and and you know, some of the archaeologists who are who are finding older and older you know, evidence of, of cultures, you know, previous to what we know are finding evidence that men and women both were doing hunting, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't, you know, this idea that the man's the hunter that plays into this whole alpha male, right? Bullshit. Mm-hmm. Which that, anybody hearing this is going to call both of us betas because we're, oh, yeah. we're oh, talking about it this we'll way. We'll go ahead and knock it out. We're yeah. beta, we're beta cucks who, <laughs> you know, who are soy boys, right? Right. Like, yeah. Those are the lines that we're they vegan. use. Yeah. The irony is that the the uh, the researcher who came up with the idea of the alpha male uh-huh. of studying wolves has since retracted that statement, saying I misunderstood what I was seeing, and in fact both wolf parents were taking care of the young, okay. and there wasn't just this this alpha right, male it's, figure. Because one, it's co-parenting in essence. They're both parents, right? So it would be weird to think that one of the parents would just say, "No, that's not my responsibility. It's all yours." I know they're animals, but even still, for people, you know, we like, love to use animals to to validate our own, right? You know, ways of being, right? Like the men are the dominant ones, right? You see how yeah. you see how these these males are fighting to be the one to mate. Mm-hmm. Like we must surely have that. 
what about the seahorse males who are the ones actually carrying the carrying yeah yeah we kind of talked about the the whole like the different brain thing just a little bit like you touched on that and it seemed like for a while that people thought that men and women did indeed have like just different brains but it seems like it has more to do with what you've explored with as a kid right so like the the example that i've read is like if let's say as a child and you're a girl and you're never given things like lego and things to build and play with like that then your spatial you know reasoning and, and things like that might not be as strong as somebody who maybe would be a boy who's played with lego um but it seems like it it's more to do with just what you come into contact with. It's not necessarily a male or female thing. Right. And you can go the other way too. I mean, we have, okay. we have, we have tomboys, uh-huh. but I, I think you could argue, you know, young boys not be being given something to care for, mm-hmm. to, you know, push that nurturing side. Mm-hmm. I mean, we gave our kid a doll to take care of mm-hmm. with a little stroller. Yeah. And he loves it. Right. I, that's one thing I've learned again these we learn to do everything our kids are learning to having to learn how to eat like the behavior of eating is something they have to practice mm-hmm. they have no muscle memory of that they have to learn how to do all these things we learn how to do everything um, one book that I recently read uh, the title is a question are men animals uh, came out last year and some of the research that he references is when when you look at the brains of young kids. And this is something that's being done more. You know, there's a book that, that will map kids' brains over the first couple of years of life to show parents how much they change, to help explain why they get clingy. But then there's other research being done that shows that, yeah, young kids have pretty similar brains. But it's culturally how we're raised. You know, I remember seeing an article like, oh, women's brains are more designed for multitasking. No, culturally they're demanded to multitask a lot more right. than men do. So they have to do it. It's nobody's, a trait. Nobody's brain is wired to really multitask, right? We're, we're, we mess up when we multitask a lot of times. Right. They have more practice at it because they're forced to do it because they're forced to wear many more hats that men just kind of abdicate mm-hmm. to the side. And they've got cultural right. expectations. They internalize them. Young girls internalize them, right? They expect... To look they, one way or to act one way. or well, And they have, t- you know, and it's not... They, they should. They have ex- low expectations of what they'll get from men because men aren't, ter- aren't taught or, you know, reinforced to, like, do your shit, handle your shit better than you do. Do you feel like the stereotypes that exist about men and women, you know, like the idea of women being nurturing and men being more aggressive is true or is it just or is it true because we've just played into it for so long? I think we've played into it for so long. We expect it. You've never met so a woman who it? you would call aggressive? I've, yeah, I've definitely yeah. met women. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And that's fine. I, yeah. there's, nothing, there's no slight on her. Some, some people are compassionate. Some people are cutthroat. Right. I don't think any woman that's cutthroat is a bitch. She's just right. a strong person. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to get out of the way. <laughs> you know, and I don't care. I don't hold that against them. And, I, you know, if I'm a compassionate person, don't hold that against me. There's no reason for it. We're taught that these things matter, right? But... It's funny, we, we learn all these things and yet parents love to joke like, oh, kids don't come with an instruction manual. Exactly, they don't. So why are you teaching them all this bullshit, mm-hmm. right? You can teach them to be a full-fledged person, right? You got young boys, you need to teach them emotional intelligence. Right. Because if they just harbor this all their life when they finally explode, mm-hmm. God knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Or what kind of stunt, you know, like, and if you like this show, I apologize, but like, 
why do we have to have a show about arrested development? Why do we have so many men who have an arrested development with mm-hmm. their with their life? Like it's it's not cute. It's yeah. sad. You know, and I I haven't watched the show, so I can't judge it, and I don't know what it's about. I haven't I'm, seen it. I'm just talking about the idea of like uh-huh. boys who can't grow up and right. and you know just be functioning adults. Or boys will be boys. Yeah. Oh, uh, that was the basis of the the TED talk I gave. Was like I'm yeah. not going to teach my child to say boys will be boys because it's just a justification, like. Kids will be kids. Absolutely. And by kids will be kids, they will be dumb. They will do stupid things. They will climb on shit that they're not supposed to. They will break things. My niece, who is only a few months younger than my oldest son, is just as wild as he is. They act pretty much the same. There's no difference. Right. Because kids they, are only wild, learn man. It, they only learn it when we teach it to them. <laughs> right. You know? And, that, and that's the thing. We all learn. And, and, and within that, you know, we have, you know expectations of masculinity are going to be different in different cultural arenas as well, right? Like being Latino or Hispanic and masculine is one thing. For black men, it's going to be a different thing than it is for white men, right? And and white men in this country have often tried to portray their idea of masculinity as being like the go-to. This is the the one everybody must strive to. Well, and then in indigenous cultures, you know, when the Europeans landed here, you know, the the sex and gender system that they found appalled them. Really, they wanted nothing to do with it because, and we can't get away from the influence of, of religion on okay. on a lot of this, right? And that's what I think gives a lot of people that that certainty and that clarity of like, this is just the way it is, right? God made you a man, God made you a woman. Well, okay, maybe maybe a higher power made me what I am biologically, right? But we created these rules about how we must act, how we must behave, based on what we are. If if it were all the same, it would be the same all over the world. Right. And it's but not. It's very different. It's not. In every culture. It's not even this necessarily the same sometimes across this country. So when I, I think the other thing when you ask about, you know, what we've known from the past, I think part of the problem with going forward is a lot of a lot of people don't assume that there's an issue to be explored. But I think part of that is putting yourself in a mindset of asking if there is no difference other than our, you know, biological sex genitalia mm-hmm. between us. Like, how far can we take this in terms of seeing how right. similar we are? Uh-huh. You know, and instead of instead of focusing on all these differences that really probably aren't all that different, right? They're cultural creations that we buy That into. we all get to decide, well, to a degree. I mean, I guess at a certain point, like you said, the marketing and the powers that be oh, yeah, kind don't, of dictate I mean, that to a degree. But I, I think people still have this mindset of accepting we're so different mm-hmm. instead of proposing to themselves well, what if we're not so different how similar are we really right you know and let's not focus so much on our differences and and we can have more you know kids growing up to be better well-rounded people right, right. like more compassionate boys don't beat the empathy out of them right. the other night we watched an episode from season four of queer Eye on netflix and that that was the big problem this dad had right like he and his and his um ex-wife they got along well mm-hmm. They had a daughter that they were co-raising. They just didn't live together. But like, he couldn't even express to her that he had struggled with anxiety and depression and things like that. Right? He couldn't tell the one person who was supposed be to be to. the closest person to him. Yeah. Um, hey, I'm dealing with this, right? And I mean, there are studies that show that mm-hmm. men don't die younger because we're more cavalier. We die younger because we're stupider and <laughs> don't listen to our bodies. Yeah. And we don't go to the doctor, right? Uh-huh. Like, I'm fine. Yeah, how much harder is it to get a guy to go to the doctor than it is to get a woman to go? 
you know, I'm fine. Leave me alone. Now, granted, we live in a country that doesn't care about health care. So maybe the financial aspect is another thing. But like sure. culturally for men, take care of themselves and acknowledging that they've got a... I'll be fine. Rub some dirt in it. Yeah. A yeah. bodily problem. Like, no. Yeah. Fucking go get your shit taken care of. Yeah, right? Like, dude, your eyeballs hanging out your yeah. head, dude. Yeah. You, yes. you've, you've got cancer. Go get that checked uh, go out. Get go it get it treated. Out. Yeah. Like try to do something instead of just ignoring the pains that your body is telling you. So for people who are listening and they think that maybe we are, or culture is trying to change, like in quotes, the truth about men and women and replace it with like a liberal agenda, what would you say or what piece of like data, study, or research could address this? Because I guess for me, or at least where I'm coming from is it's nobody saying if you're a man that you can't like football and you can't like drinking beer and doing things that typically would be prescribed as masculine. But what I think I'm trying to say is that those things don't make you masculine, right? You can like them, but you can also like, right. But women can pink. like that too, right? Like women can like Absolutely. drinking beer and watching football. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the things that we like don't make us masculine or feminine. Right. Well, and so not to be too theoretical, but like that's the idea of performance, right? We perform these things, right? There's a script that we follow. We perform it, right? I go do something daring and dangerous in front of people to prove that I have this okay. essence of masculinity. Right. So um, now, therefore, I feel like I have to like this thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many people for how many of you out there force yourselves to like things or make people think you like things? Yeah. Or you don't want to tell people you don't like things because of the thought of what the perception of you will be because of that right. expression of your feelings towards a subject, right? What? Like, oh, I don't like football, but I don't tell my friends because I don't want them to like give me shit about it. Well, right. like, like who cares? Like your friends yeah. shouldn't do that, right? So, so to answer your question, I think the way the system was set up or has evolved into what it is now is the problem in and of itself. And I mean, if you want to call it a liberal agenda, you okay, you can do that. But like the reality is, is we've all been fed this idea that we need to behave in certain ways and we don't, you know, and there it's, it's not, it's not everybody, right? Some people have the, the good fortune of growing up in a family that doesn't follow those rules. Right. And so they, they they might hear us talking about this and be like, Oh, it's ridiculous. My parents never, you know, put those norms on me. Great. You're the lucky one. You got off lucky. That's great. You don't have the like, doesn't mind mean it fuck. didn't happen for someone else. Yeah, you don't have the mind fuck that a lot of people have of like, oh, I can't do this because what might my friends think, you know? Or like that poor guy who's really good at ice skating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hello, that's an athletic sport. Yep. That takes a lot of training, a lot of body strength, uh-huh. right? These are things that should be masculine, right? But like, So it's funny, what's if the you idea ice skate, a- it's not cool, but if you play hockey... Cool. Why? Because it involves violence and competition. Exactly. Uh-huh. Right? And this is what we're supposed to be doing. But now I, I will, you know, actively speak to my kids about this, you know, like, you know, because you're competing against a girl means nothing. Like, she'll whip your ass and it'll be fine. Right. But this is often tied to ideas of masculinity. Right. You can't be bested by a woman. But men put how, how bad did men push back on women joining the working place? Mm-hmm. Right. And so when they couldn't keep them out, well. We'll fuck with their salaries. We won't pay them as much. We'll treat them like shit. We'll sexually harass them. You know, there are all kinds of things that, that pop. There are all kinds of challenges that women have to deal with in the workplace from their male colleagues and sometimes from their female colleagues as well um, that, that men don't have to deal with. Right. So is everything in essence that 
we do as a culture really just to construct every single thing? I, where I'm at right now, absolutely, I would say yeah. yes. It's hard. Like I said, seeing a young baby have to learn the, the, the behavior of just eating and doing all these basic things, like how are these it's other more complex things not just learned, right? Like, And so that brings up the fact that we can unlearn them, right? And I mean, this is something the country is grappling with right now. Like how do so many white people unlearn the white supremacy and racism that they've been taught growing up, right? That's one problem. How do we unlearn these ideas of traditional gender and just let people do whatever the hell they want to do? We're always going to have to deal with this pushback, I think, from religious-inspired traditional voices of like, no, this is mm-hmm. this is how you are. You were born this way. You just have to accept it. Motherfucker, this is America. Yeah. I don't have to accept shit. Yeah. I can do whatever I want, right? Yeah. And I, I say that to just use kind of right. their slogan and attitude back at them right like i can do whatever i want and i think that's a reality a lot of us have to embrace is like i can do whatever i want right Right. if i'm a guy and i want to go do something i shouldn't care if people are going to label me effeminate it's probably going to happen because that's our culture right? right men play into that women play into that importantly women have to play into that how do you cut him how do you cut a man down to size right you go after his manhood yeah you go his after junk. you go after his penis size yeah. right you know these mythical creatures you see in porn they're hired for that aspect of themselves right right? they are not the norm Mm -hmm. they're not even close to the norm they create this kind of idea for people to see on a screen they play out they create these horrible expectations of what women want from sex you know the way sex is tied into a uh, masculinity is also um, crazy too and it 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 promotes the rape culture that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Women women can't be giving it up, but men have got to get it somehow. The whole idea if a man hooks up with a lot of women, he's he's the man. And if women hook up with a lot of men or women, then... It just debases sex. Like, uh-huh. people are having... A, too many people are having bad sex out there. <laughs> yeah. Because they think it's one thing. You know, there's... You know, it's it's not just penetration. There's so much more to it. That, that's the thing, right? Like, you remember middle school and high school? No one talked about these kind of nuances. It was just everybody just lied about it. Yeah, like and it, was it popular for you where people would have these like uh, plastic wristbands that you would tie into different colors and knots, and yeah. you did I mean, certain I re- things. I remember those things. Okay, people yeah. talking about it was like, those things. If you have like, this bracelet, you've done sixty nine. If you've done this one, then it's like none of you have freaking done it. You're in eighth grade. Yeah, you're thirteen. Yeah, you ain't done that. You haven't done any of that. Yeah. But, but it, that, that talk is happening too because the parents aren't talking to them about it. The only thing, you know, and they want to talk about it. So what are they doing? What, what 13-year-old is not going and watching some porn? What 13-year-old is not doing it, right? High probability. But, right. But, but porn is not, if you're 13 and you're going to watch porn because you're curious about sex, you don't need to listen to what they're saying. Sure. Because they're actors and they're actresses mm-hmm. and they're scripted. If, if you want to watch a sex movie so you can learn about what actual sex looks like and what to expect. Okay, great. Like ask someone who is more well-versed in that to, to help you find something that's not going to be so derogatory, right? right? There's a lot of good um, feminist directors who are making feminist based porn, which is more based on like mutual pleasure and not just like, I'm going to pound you into the ground. Right. Right. Because that's what Uh men do. Right. You just, you think you that hold them against the wall and, and that you're so powerful. Jackhammer them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? It's your strength. Your masculinity is coming out. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, but there are on the flip side, there are people who are into that, you know? So it's like, that's the thing. Hey, it's like, right. everybody's got their thing. Everybody's and, got their thing, but it's like, but it's not, do you have that thing? Cause you really want 
that Bingo. or do you have that thing because you've been conditioned to think that you want that and so right. you're making yourself want that uh-huh. if you really want that great like I don't hold that against you absolutely if people are but, consensual great do whatever you want to do in, in that sense you know short of hurting children and you know things that would put it in a different category but as far as like talking about things where we do things because we feel like we have to that's actually how I ended up liking like drinking old fashions. Like when I first started drinking them, it wasn't because I liked them. It was this image and perception of being, that's what a man drinks. We get old fashions and we get whiskey. Right. And through that, I ended up actually liking it. So at this point, if I drink it, it is because now it's a, it's a taste that I have now associated with and, and now like, but the initial reason for even ordering the drink is not a good was one. not a good one. So there, I mean, there are plenty of areas I'm sure in everybody's life if they would just take time to sit down and go, why do I actually do that or like that? Right. And just well, consider and, it. And what would it take for me to do what I want to do? Right. Without getting the pushback from the culture that I live in. Yes. Can that happen? Yeah. I mean, it can, but you're going to get pushback. But I mean, to pivot back to what we talked about earlier, as far as gender, I mean, now we're seeing that there's a list of genders, right? There's more than now male and female. Right. If I'm not mistaken, like there's they's and them's and other pronouns and things. There's that can other be used. gender expressions. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what my question would be, um, not from a place of judgment, I, I just I don't know. Like, how do those lists of genders get formed? Like, how do they even know that the label that they created matched how they felt in the first place? And like scientifically, like where does that come from? And like, how far does that go? And like, what's the the line? I don't. I don't know. If- taking a scientific approach because this is more again a cultural thing okay so gender is more you're saying less scientific or more social construct okay got it gender is more of a social construct i know maybe for some people that's debasing the argument but every time i walk down a path of trying to figure out scientifically where something might have come from it's like it's a cultural construct it's a cultural expectation okay because it changes over time but you know new ideas of gender are going to come from people who are you know, trying to figure out who they are. They're exploring with things. They find a, a new way of expressing themselves that fits more in line with what they have in their head of how they see themselves. So when somebody says that they identify with they or them, um, it's a queer it doesn't approach. necessarily mean that they're saying that they're neither female or male, sex, when we're talking sex-wise. It, it depends on the person. Like, okay. Like, each person who identifies as they or them is going to have a different interpretation of why they're choosing that. Sure. Some people might be breaking away from the him, her type uh-huh. bi- binary. Right. Right. And just going to a, I don't believe in that binary. So I'm going to go with they, them. The people that push back against that are the ones who are, you know, angry about that. Like, how dare you do that? Right. You have to right. call yourself here, you know, a guy or a girl. Like, no, they don't. They can call themselves whatever they want. Right. And that freedom, you know, you, you I hear this, question a lot from the very anti you know the the pushback establishment i guess right you know there's there's only two genders uh-huh where does there's it two end? sexes yeah where does it end yeah who knows yeah who cares yeah it doesn't affect you right right you've got your idea in your they're head. not denying that biologically male and female exist they're just saying that the thing that they identify gender wise is just different it's different it's not it doesn't fit into your traditional role right right you're a little too category your two categories your binary paradigm yep. is not working uh-huh it's too restrictive and 
they're going to go do their own thing. And, What's funny? And why do you care, right? But this is part of that that patriarchal value of like men control things, uh-huh. and you're you're not behaving, you're not being controlled. Get in and line. So yeah, we've got yeah. to we've got to shame you, or we've got to use violence against you, right? Violence against the queer community and the and the LGBTQ community is it's always been there. I've always. Um struggle with the idea as far as like when it comes to pronouns and like when people like I was trying to think of it logically so like on one hand I would think well why does somebody expect me to call them one thing I'd rather just call them whatever name that they want to go by right there was like that part of me and then there was the other part was like no that's not right like if you know let's say for example nobody has a problem calling me he I mean that's what I am right that's what I would say that I am. Okay. And, and that's how you see yourself. That's how I would say, yeah. yeah. And uh, and that's not a problem for anybody to give me that courtesy. So why should I not give that same courtesy to right. somebody else who would say that they're not that? And so there was like both of those viewpoints because I feel like people are more dimensional than just that. It's not just one or the other, right? Like there's duality in all of us on in a lot of areas. And I feel like I had those two thoughts battling and then I finally came to a place where they could merge and I could be like no it doesn't doesn't matter because what does it got to do with me right and I think I think most people who don't go by what people might assume right like if, if someone assumes someone is a he him and they they call this person that and they're like no actually it's it's she her you know like okay end of story right yeah if that person switches over it's not gonna be it's the pushback right and the the attempt to like no, I'm not going to acknowledge that. Yeah. Like, well, who the fuck are you well, I guess to not can... acknowledge someone else's reality if that's how they see themselves? Yeah. No, that makes sense. I guess the confusion for me then comes from, like, just from a logic standpoint, taking out, like, beliefs. Like, if I would look at you and I would make the assumption just based on the, how the world was works that you would be a male. That's just like an ass- assumption. In this context, yes, but I can't tell you how many times on the phone or at a drive-thru okay. I've been told, I've been called ma'am. I've been called ma'am. Yeah. Um, sure. But so there's My that. My students think I sound like Ross Geller. <laughs> okay, oh, a little <laughs> bit actually. Um, so like I would assume that, right? So let's say that a gay male approached you and he was interested, but you weren't a quote-unquote he or a male, right? So it's like... How then do you know what you're attracted to physically if it doesn't match necessarily the description? But that, that's part of the... I, I guess it's all a conversation at that point? Yeah, it's a conversation, but it's also part of the, you know, the kind of whatever attitude. Sure. The, you know, hey, I'm approaching. You're not interested. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll move on. Right. You know, and hey, sorry, I'm not interested in, in you. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Whatever, we move on. It's, it's all cool. Right? Like, yeah. we're just... We, we saw someone we thought, and I think that's what you're seeing too. Like you have, you know, you have pansexual identities where it's uh-huh. like, I'm not in love with a gender. I'm in love with the person. Right. Right. And so like, our neighbor, me uh, and this person, that way. yeah, me and this person, we connected and then we deal with the biological stuff later because what's beneath all of this is, is what matters. And that works. Right. That works for a lot of people. I honestly think that those people prob- probably find more happiness than some of us yeah. who have all these arbitrary rules. Who have less things to box them in. Yeah, I could see that. I feel like, so one of the main drivers of our brains is cooperation with the group, right? Like with <laughs> other humans. So yeah. 
from an evolutionary standpoint, we needed to work together for the overall good of the group for us to all survive at one point. And doing the opposite of that would then get you casted out of the group. So it feels like that seems to be like a carryover effect of why we're, as a society, we're having such a hard time. One, even just having these conversations is like, if you did, then it's like this feeling of being kicked out or you're not a part of the group anymore or you're shunned or you're made fun of for even just having these conversations. And so if there is anything that I would hope that this podcast does in this episode would do would make people feel safe to even have these conversations in the first place. I mean, do you think that that's part of the problem is like a little evolutionary carryover where we kind of run things through the filter of the group? Yeah. Well, I mean, the group think is always going to be there and it's always important Yeah. Um, because it, you know, it, it provides, I, I think it provides a comfort of cohesiveness, mm-hmm. but then we're also a culture where we love our individuality and identities. Yeah. You know, we love individuality, but we love a controlled individuality. And, and this is one of the things that I loved about studying sexuality and different things like that. You can really cut to the heart of a lot of people mm-hmm. by getting into talking about their sexuality. And by that, I mean, you can really find out who they are or you can really make someone close off right. by not wanting to talk about that. And, yeah. and I mean, our, you know, sexual traumas can traumatize us in a way that is beyond what other things do to us. You know, yeah. like I said, that, that young boy in a car accident, that was one type of trauma. But if you suffer from sexual abuse or assault in some way, that can traumatize you in a, on a whole other level. Yeah. That is, is well, What do you think about people who, there have been stories of people who have been or they forgot and then they remembered and like with psychology, people trying to uncover memories. I mean, is there any basis of truth in any of that? that you can uncover something like that or I mean again it's going to be a mixture of like that person's personal experience trying to go down that road and then also dealing with you know what our society expects of people right it's it's always complicated it's rarely the simple answer yeah there's so many factors you know and it depends on does that person want to get to the bottom of it right like if you suffer a sexual trauma like maybe you don't yeah and and you know you can we can have this argument mm-hmm. on a on another day about whether or not it's good or bad right. to, to deal with that trauma or not. Mm-hmm. But it's up to each individual person how they want to deal with that that trauma in that way of either cutting themselves off from it and, and not thinking about it or turning and facing it and right. and dealing with it. Everybody's it's the fight or handle, flight thing. Yeah, everybody's gonna handle it differently and right. you gotta do what's what's right for you and your life. In a lot of these instances, we want a, a catch-all answer. Right. Yeah, we all want it, answers. You know, it like do, it's, it, it sucks when you don't have answers. Yeah, it doesn't exist. But you just having the changing your mindset and saying we don't necessarily have to accept that it was all made this way. Right. Right. I wasn't made some way. This is yeah. why we're having the difficult discussion right now in our country of of the problem of, of racism is mm-hmm. that young white kids have been internalizing their supremacy to other people for so long that it's hard to cut loose. Mm-hmm. And with your gender roles as well, right? If you grow up in a very heteronormative home that mm-hmm. reinforces to you heterosexuality is the only acceptable way to express yourself and your you know that your sexuality is more along the lines of something that's queer, gay, LGBTQ, whatever, whatever it is. Right you've internalized a bit of self-hatred that you have to 
reckon with. Right. And everybody's going to respond to that differently. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, uh, people people are scared to have these conversations or, or admit to anything, especially when it deals with sexuality. There's so much shame. I feel like if there's like one area for people, sexuality is like one of those areas that is probably the most shameful. And it and it's it's so personal. Be. If you grew up in the religious yeah. background, right? There's a lot of issues of shame and guilt that come along with that, right? As, as boys, we're not supposed to masturbate and we've got all kinds of different reasons You're for it. You're definitely not supposed to put anything in your butt. Right. Yeah. But those might be healthy expressions of, uh-huh. of sexuality for you. You find me a 14-year-old boy that's not masturbating every day. Good luck. <laughs> as a unicorn. <laughs> that's why he's got carpal tunnel. It's a giveaway. If you're 14 with carpal tunnel, it's, that's the clear... Right. None of, the, none of the, those expectations exist with, with young women. Mm-hmm. But is it healthy for them to be masturbating too? Absolutely. Absolutely. But like, we have these double standards. I agree. So Lauren and I, we've discussed it a few times, you know, like we don't have kids, but we talk about, you know, the future of like when we do and like, what are the things that we think are important and what do we want to instill? And one of the things that we have come to agree on is whenever that age is, let's say just for the sake of the discussion, it's 16 for kids to experiment with sex. What we don't want to do is say that it's okay if we have a boy, that it's okay for him to. And if we have a girl, it's not okay for her because she's our sweet little angel. That's right. bullshit. So it's, it's, it needs to be fair across the board right. where the thing that we communicate is, listen, we don't need to know necessarily what you're doing because that's your business. But what we would care about is knowing that you're safe, that there's consent, and you're both respectful to one another. And that's, that's it. That Anything you have else? agency in it, right? You're yeah. acting on your own volition. You're Absolutely. not being coerced into I mean, something. I would, of course, prefer that you like the person. But, yeah. you know, that's <laughs> like, I can't win at all. You know what I mean? Like, right. they're going to do what they're going to do, and, and I can't stop that. But at least what I can do is talk about risk aversion. And, like, if you're going to do it, how can I lower the risk of, of outcomes? Well, be safe. Have consent. Be respectful. And but, the, but those are not the cultural representations we're seeing in our movies right. and and television shows and things like that, right? Yeah. It's always it's always the young guy mm-hmm. who like comes to loggerheads with with dad or the girlfriend, yeah, because dad recognizes his old self, right, mm-hmm. out on the prowl, and he knows what this guy wants to do with my daughter. Yep. Oh, it's yeah. It's, it's, you it's, did it's too ridiculous. when you were a teenager. Yeah. 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 So it's, to me, that's one of the things that like we we want to make sure that we we get right. Not necessarily saying that anything else is wrong, but for us, we feel like that is the right way to handle it um yeah and and so like on the topic of sexuality what's what are some of the most interesting things that you feel like you've learned through studying sexuality that's a lot to to unpack i mean it's it's way too often tied up with with issues of of shame and guilt mm-hmm. right and so what that does is it creates a difficulty for a lot of people to get to the pleasure point um it's so varied from person to person right you've got some people who are very insecure with their sexuality and some who are very secure and when they cross paths sometimes it sometimes can be very positive Mm -hmm. for the one who needs help with the growth but it can also provoke a lot of negative reactions from those insecurities being brought to light um there's a power dynamic there Mm -hmm. um you know and people having again certain cultural expectations about what it's about you've got the the danger of people internalizing again like i said this porn feedback loop of right 
of what these expectations are, what the reality is. What What is your perspective on porn? Is it a blanket statement, all of it's bad, some of it's good? What is it in between? I, I, Sometimes. I think you'd have to really search to find, and when I say good, I mean the positive representations, you know, where it's not this, I have to just obliterate this woman in front of me sure. or this person in front of me. Because mm-hmm. again, in gay porn, it's going to, you might come across the same thing mm-hmm. where it's just like this use of, or this use of, yeah, this use of violence mm-hmm. in the act of sex. And again, if, if that's your thing, that's your thing. But if, if it's your thing because you've internalized it and made yourself mm-hmm. want to have that because you think that's what it's expected, that's where it gets problematic. Right. You know, and again, it's, it's deeply personal. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to be different. And so it's, it's hard to have blanket statements about right. people when it comes to sexuality because everybody's got their own quirks. Everybody's got their own interest. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got their own thing they want to experiment with right. and, and think about. And, and some people don't, right? Some people want to keep it very calm and, and that's fine to too, right? Because for some people that calmness and that simplicity mm-hmm. is where they find their happiness. Right. Um, and I think it's difficult because a lot of people feel so vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? And that's another topic we haven't even talked about in terms of masculinity is mm-hmm. it's aversion to vulnerability. And this is why I think a lot of people won't, don't like talking about sexuality too, because it is so vulnerable, right? Like somebody comes up to you and starts talking to a person. Yeah. Oh my God. Getting naked in front of someone that's the, the first, first time. time? <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah. Even yeah. if you're not even a, like self-conscious about yourself, yeah. it's still. And it's for everybody. It's, yeah. it's complete vulnerability, no matter who you are. When you show your naked body to somebody, yes. like, that's that vulnerability. Yes. You know, how many people love to, or you hear stories of people who, you know, got to do it with the lights off. Yeah. Because it helps calm that vulnerability. But that's, again, I think that's another cultural thing that we're missing out on, that we're lacking because yeah. of some For of these I'd ideas of, of masculinity that yeah. get put out there of it, it makes being vulnerable mm-hmm. such a negative experience. And if you've ever been vulnerable and overcome that, you're way stronger than someone who never has, right? Like over right. overcoming and walking through those moments of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would describe myself as somebody who, if we're going with the cultural labels, then I am somebody who is who has a decent amount of feminine characteristics. Um, based on what you and I have discussed today, they aren't because they aren't specific to, to, to females. We They're just label just a them human that. trait. Yeah. Uh, just that, human being, right? right? Some people are passive. Some people are strong. Some right. people are even keels. Some people are wild. Yeah. I don't, I don't care for the traditionally male things. Like I'm not a huge football fan, but I like UFC cage fighting. Right. Which, which I for don't, a lot of people is hyper masculine. Like, sure. That's a big time. Like, right. Absolutely. And like, I don't want to go out fishing. It's cool. That people love fishing. I'd rather get my feet down and have a pedicure and a massage. If I'm being honest, I'd rather do that. I'm such a beta. I, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Dude, I, what I wouldn't do to just have a friend where I could be like, Hey man, you want to go get your feet done and yeah. we could just go get our feet done. But that would never, ha- I don't say never. I don't feel like I, I don't know very many men who would be willing to be like, Hey yeah, let's go get our feet done, man. And just go hang out. Well, because there's an unsaid Fear of not being perceived as as heterosexual. We might be viewed which, as a couple, right? And oh yeah. no, what's that's all. It's like right. what's the like 
I, so what? Yeah, I've got a really good friend, and we we hang out quite a bit. We get we know that we get pegged as yeah. as a couple all the time, and we laugh about it, mm-hmm. you know. And our partners laugh about it too, and they're like, "Y'all are, y'all are so <laughs> cute," yeah. you know. But like, we get people give us acknowledgement when we're out yeah. of like that, whether mm-hmm. it be good like or bad. Like we see you. Yeah, you know, it's like, sorry, we've we've been we've known each other since we were six years old. Right. Like we're just after good thirty friends. years, like. There's not much mystery. I have a friend uh, who I feel pretty comfortable with, but unfortunately he moved away to Virginia, so I don't get to see him very often. But it's like, it's hard, especially when like being adults. So like when you're younger and you're in high school and you're in college, it's easier to make friends because there's like a built-in network of people always around you. But once you go out in the real world and you have to force yourself to meet new people and it can be awkward and weird, you know, and it's, it's very... Yeah, it's it's hard, and I feel like as men, it's more difficult. That could be a generalization, that could be untrue, but in my experience, it's harder for me and what I have seen for men to go out and like if I if you were at at a bar and I didn't know you and I was just like, hey man, what's up? You might perceive that if you weren't you that I was hitting on you. Yeah, right. And so I feel like if it was women, it wouldn't be very weird at all. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's this double well, standard. Because there's this expectation that if you're talking to a random person in a bar, what are you looking for? You're looking to hook up. Probably. Right. Yeah. You know? Like what person's just, just randomly just, at a bar if, chit-chatting with people? If I'm alone and I'm sitting there, I don't want to, just want to sit there in silence. I just want to talk to whoever's right. next to me. You know what I mean? So it's like... But that's that, that you can relate that all back to that, to that hunter, right? Right. Men are always out on the prowl. Right. Right? And, yeah. and, and some are. That's, that is true. Well, a lot sure. are. Some. A yeah. lot are. I'm, dude, I'm just looking to fucking be everybody's friend that's it I, like anybody who comes into contact with me if you talk to me we're gonna be friends now right <laughs> but it's you know again you you go back to these expectations of masculinity sure. this this oh, i don't you know like guys don't you know you can see this in in tv shows when guys accidentally touch hands and they get all awkward <sighs> about it you no know? homo yeah. they say yeah. things like that yeah yeah uh-huh you know it's like it's it's okay to touch your friend Right. It doesn't have to always be sexual. Well, do you feel like in other cultures, like let's say like with the UK, because Lauren and I, we watch trash shows like Love Island and we watch Love Island UK. And what we've noticed is the men are all over each other hanging out. They're being best buds. They hug each other. They sit next to each other on a couch really close. It's not weird for them. It's it's definitely a very American thing. I mean, we lived in Spain for three years and we we lived with a couple of British guys. And it's not like we were like, all over each other but right. you know I, I played soccer with them and you would touch people when things you know good things happen it wasn't just like a high five or a pat on the butt like we do here right, right. like people would touch you on the back of the head which is which in Thailand is a very intimate thing you're not yeah. even supposed to touch the top of somebody's head right yeah right but like people would touch the back you know you see that like those little intimate moments like nobody's trying to make out nobody's trying to make a move right right but like yeah. we're human we're human beings we're right. tactile creatures and we enjoy that yes. and I think that's another problem that 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 young men young boys face is mm-hmm. that they don't get that touch mm-hmm. and so when it when it when it gets to a breaking point it can it can push people to do things that are that are awful so as we close out the episode um, I think it's important to go back to the goal which is kind of what I talked about in the beginning that other than to just listen and to learn um, that we would just relate with one another and that we would try to have a more positive outlook on life. And um, so before I ask you these next few uh, questions, I just wanted to, to say that I hope that this episode has helped maybe whoever's listened 
maybe just consider things from a different perspective and uh, that it would encourage you to have conversations with people that you may not normally have. Um, so I wanted to ask you a few questions before we wrap it up. What are like maybe just a few lessons then that you're hoping to instill to your kids? Yeah, the, the cultural expectations that people heap on you about you, you've got a penis, you're a man, so you've got to act a certain way is bullshit. It's control mechanism. I want to work on developing emotional intelligence with them so that they don't think they have to hold things in all the time. I want them to, to have that perception of the world that it's okay for me to be in it, to feel it, express myself, and things like that. So I want to teach them, you know, like, hey, these cultural expectations are out there. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to grapple with them. You're going to have people who are going to try and do that. But it's a control mechanism, right? you got to be you. Yep. And these ideas that this is what men do and this is what women do is arbitrary. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously taking down that thing towards respect towards women and not looking at them in this objectifying way, mm -hmm. but as equal people on equal footing with them and people who are going to be better than them at certain things. Absolutely. And it's fine. And to not get caught up in these games. You know, and I, again, this is all pie in the sky. You know, I will teach my kids that whether they apply it. Listen and apply it, that's that's their own deal. Uh, what do you like about yourself? I know that's what usually people will ask like what are your flaws, but I think it's important to also force people to recognize that there are good things in them. Yeah. No, I I like my curiosity. When people start hurling and you look at our insults, our insults are all very gender-based and things like that, right? A motherfucker, someone yeah. who's going after your mother, right? Uh -huh. That's always been the thing, or a cocksucker, right? Uh -huh. Making someone. But I've, as I've gotten older, like insults to me just make me laugh. Because I'm like, really? You're going to that? So I guess not. I, I like the fact that I'm not drawn into those kind of arguments of mm -hmm. like, oh, oh, you're going to try and one up me with, with some kind of in, insult? Like, yeah. big fucking deal. Like, mm -hmm. I've got a better brain than that. But for the last question, though, uh, what has been a thought that has been bouncing around in your head lately? Has there been a thought that just won't leave, leave you alone? Well, a friend of mine and I are starting looking at a project because it's, it's a thought that I had. And I mentioned it to him and he's like, fuck yeah, let's walk down this road. How is queerness and drag and queer culture going to be used to help? heal people interesting okay As, oh, right so when you when you watch shows like we're here you can see it sometimes in, in rupaul's drag race you can see it in queer eye this queer aspect this queer culture is being used to heal people whether they're part of the queer community mm -hmm. or not so it's got a power that i think a lot of us have underestimated and not fully understood because it's again it's a road we're still traveling mm -hmm. but how can how is that working? And then how can we come up with some kind of maybe framework of saying, here's some ideas to think, think about and consider mm -hmm. in terms of if you're trying to find some self-healing and what you're finding in the normal, typical places aren't working, right? There might be things that queer culture can, can teach you, right? Not, yeah. not taking it to a level of appropriating, but like sure. lessons you can learn and use in your own healing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, queer, queer healing. So Lauren and I actually were watching it earlier, uh, Queer Eye Today, before you even came over. Um, I just feel like they do a really good job of 
obviously they're there to transform people's lives, but just like beyond the actual physical, tangible things that they do, just the message of hope and just like the love that they give these people that they don't even know yeah. is pretty incredible. Because they, exp- they, they show their vulnerability. Right. And there, there's so much strength in vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And we miss out on that, I think. I think a lot of men miss out on the strength and vulnerability because it's not masculine enough. Right. Those guys on that show absolutely do a great job mm-hmm. of allowing those moments. And those are the moments when great things happen mm-hmm. and when strong bonds, you know, form and people are able to take that next step towards becoming a better person for themselves. Because mm. you can't be a good person for yourself. It's hard to be a good person for the world around you. You've got to love yourself. I found that out at 20. 20? Yeah. 28 for me. <laughs> 20 on a, on a late night with some, some help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> some psychedelic help. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it was like a moment of like, I really have to love myself if I'm yeah. going to be able to work with someone else. Uh-huh. You know? And it was at that moment when I really realized like the issues of depression, anger, and like not being in love with myself it's not a mm-hmm. it's not a self-centered thing yeah you know like I said the people close to me will tell you that I'm the last person to think about myself but like you still gotta love yourself right and finding that moment if you've internalized so much negative things about you mm-hmm. because you don't fit in with the expectations of the world around you it can be very yeah detrimental yeah when you're not a part of the group um, mm-hmm. well thank you for taking time today because I know you're on vacation sort oh, no, of right fine. or yeah, yeah so I, I really appreciate it it was a lot of fun um and I will see you guys on the next episode of the most good podcast <laughs>